Um, let us pray. <clears throat> Grant, we beseech thee, Almighty God, that the words which we hear this day with our outward ears may, through thy grace, be so grafted inwardly in our hearts that they may bring forth uh, in us the fruit of good living to the honor and praise of thy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. A little bit in that prayer, um, that the words which we hear this day with our outward ears, um, it's going to be a, uh, as we're moving through Romans here, these first six weeks of sort of the new year, um, of the new church year, uh, a, a, a breeze through the first half of Romans, through the, uh, through the, the better known half, um, that's nothing against Romans 9 through 11, which is the great question that Paul brought forward. Um, the Jewish question it's sometimes called that he was a Jew and he yearned with a uh, 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 his, his heart's yearning um, even to the point of tears for his people to be saved and so a lot of us have questions about that it's a good question right in front of us what about my friends that's, that's where the biblical theology for that really becomes confronted there in Romans 9 10 and 11 and we're not going to do it we'll, we'll do that later um, have done it before I'm sure it's somewhere way back on the uh, the website and then he goes forward, in view of all this, my brethren, um, uh, in view of God's mercy, um, count yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him, where it goes through in Romans 12 with some other great uh, places. And then the, I didn't mean to do this, um, outline of Romans in my head. And then the, uh, uh, the two kingdoms idea that really comes out in Romans 13, that we obey our, our earthly authorities, even as we're aware of, 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 of our, our, the, the verticality and the reality. And that's what we're going to get to today. The, uh, the basis of our whole life is that we have been worded. That's what I'm going to really build on today, logizomai. Um, uh, that's Romans 13, and then and, you know, I'll go forward. Um, Romans 14, 15, and then the farewells in 16, which uh, remarkable primarily for who's included and its real emphasis on women, which um, I always have this little chip on my shoulder, one of my shoulders, I'm not sure which, um, to defend Paul as if he needs me, a little pygmy, to defend him because um, he's perceived out there usually around Easter time or something like that as misogynistic and and conservative and kind of a red stater. Um, well, he's none of that. He's not a red stater. He's not a blue stater. He's the Apostle Paul um, delivering the message. Um, he's, he didn't make it up. Uh, it owns him. And it's, uh, as Tim Keller would say, it's absolutely offensive on uh, both sides of the aisle to the conservative folks um, Paul, who interpreted what Jesus did, uh, always seems radically liberal. And to the, to the left side of the aisle, Paul always seems radically conservative. So anyway, I don't know why I did all that, because now it's just now 10-10. So. <laughs> um, so we're doing Romans 1 through 8 for six chapters. Last week, I was really scattered on the heels of, a, of a, uh, the rally day skit, um, trying to do way too much, um, uh, Romans 1, 2, and 3. We can slow down. Just a hair. We're going to get into Romans 4, the great example of uh, Abraham, and then a nod to David as well. So you can turn into that if you want. We're actually going to engage the text much more than we did last time. And if, you, um, if you're with somebody who has a Bible and you can share and um, maybe pass one around to somebody else, and, or if you have one on your phone, I see a lot of people pulling that out, that'd be great. Uh, but to, uh, uh, to climb into it, a couple of review points, and then we are going to look at one word. I don't want to well, I make an apology. I don't know why. Um, I do know why. Um, as I sit out there, sometimes it looks very pretentious when a preacher or a teacher is up there and they start using Greek words and 
you know, and it's, there's this, always this subtext that seems to go across, and sometimes it really puts me off of, uh, oh, look at him impress himself um, up there. And that's not what I'm trying to do, at least, in a, in, you know, at least outwardly. Now, I know inwardly, of course, I want you to like me. We all want everybody to like ourselves and all that stuff, and I'm sure there's some of that. And I'm, but, I'm, but really, not trying to. I'm just trying to engage the text and bring you along with me. And there's a great word that's especially prominent in, in, uh, in, in Romans 4, and it's called logismai. It's a verb. It's a verb in, um, uh, in the Greek, and it's root. Does anybody recognize the root? Logismai? Logos, um, which is the word for word, um, the words of the scripture, but primarily um, the, the Bible, which is made up of words, has an audacious claim that the word became flesh. Um, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth um, when before it was formless and void, and then he spoke and something happened. Um, we're going to review all this, come back in through it. So that's what we call creatio ex nihilo. And as I say oftentimes, too, just in defense of some Latin, which I never took any Latin. I've audited Greek. You know, that's all I am. Um, uh, but it just means that, look, if there's a Latin phrase for it, at least in theology, the only thing I really sort of... Can, can begin to get an orientation about. It just means that an awful lot of ink and thought has gone into this, and they put it into a, a, a comfortable shorthand, where in three words, creatio ex nihilo, creation from nothing, uh, there's an awful lot that's said. And so we dive in and we begin to understand, we pick apart, we lean into, we live in, we allow it to do itself to us, this idea which has consequences, this idea which which at once dissects me and then um, uh, puts me back together. Uh, that's what we're trying to do. And it's a great word that in the beginning there was nothing and no thing else. Um, the earth was formless and void. The cosmos, in fact, was formless and void. And nothing was except God. God who existed in himself um, perfectly and satisfactorily in the community of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He wasn't lonely. Um, he wasn't uh, sort of hanging around in the midst of nothing. And see, we even lose, there's no language for this. He wasn't hanging around in the midst of nothing because that implies that there was sort of an awareness that something wasn't and that that's not it, that God was and it was perfect and complete and satisfying all to himself. But then for reasons known only to God who exists in himself completely and satisfyingly, meaning there was no longing for company, he then created. There wasn't even dirt. Like he didn't say, oh, look, some dirt. I think I'll make something out of the dirt. I mean, he spoke all that. There wasn't atmosphere. It was complete nothingness. Even the word vacuum, I think, doesn't begin to approach that because we appreciate what the word vacuum means only in relation to what is absent. How do we define vacuum? The absence of anything. Well, that's not even it. Formless and void, there was nothing and no thing. It was completely empty. There's, there's. I know it's very sort of, I call it the animal house, Donald Sutherland stuff. It's really weird, you know? Uh, but that's what it was. Um, and then God spoke, and just from his spoken word, there then was. And then fast forward all the way to the Gospel of John. I'll probably repeat this every week because it's just a centerpiece here in, uh, in Romans, and it's the centerpiece of hope, as we're going to see. Hope really hangs on this. Um, 
Fast forward to the Gospel of John, and with great intentionality, the, 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 the Apostle John writes, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos. Uh, in, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And without the Word, nothing that had been made was made. And so within God, who existed in himself in perfect and complete satisfaction, and there was nothing else, and when he decided to speak, that word which was in him, the word was with God, and the word was God. So simultaneously, both in him and him, uh, it spoke, and then there was. And John picks all that up. And then with the thunderbolt of Christmas, the message, in John 1.14, and then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so rush in this great Greek word, logizomai. And I got all this um, book in the bookstore, totally worth your time, um, by Fitzsimmons Allison, the great retired bishop and friend of the Advent, uh, bishop, former bishop of South Carolina, in his uh, the last book which he wrote, Trust in the Age of Arrogance. Um, the word, the verb logizomai comes forth, and it's just what it sounds like it would be. If the noun is logos, the verb is logizomai. Uh, it means, and we were worded. The word not only became flesh and dwelt among us, the word became verb and did itself to us. You know, it's an active word. It does something. Verbs are the word, you know, the, the, the doing words. And the word became a verb. The logos of God uh, became a verb and it did something. And that's the hinge point of our hope. When we run up into whatever it is, anything hopeless or something that needs change or uh, you know, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, or there's an issue with your child, or a spouse, or this recidivistic sin, or, or the fear that you have. Well, what if I'm not among the elect that he describes in Romans 10? Um, the word became verb and does itself to us. And what, is that, what does it do when it does itself to us? It, it creates. Creatio, ex nihilo. It creates not from something, it's not, it only, you know, I was a kid, and what was it, that song, Pass It On? I couldn't be the only one in the room who sang that and cried, you know, it only takes us far. Yeah. And, it's, and that song is wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Um, it, 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 it doesn't even take a spark. When the fire is flat out and, 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 and the ashes are stone cold, God speaks and it happens. That is hopeful. So all that, we're going to review in just a minute. I want to say what I'm going to say. What is this, George Stephanopoulos? Tell them what you're going to tell them, tell it to them, and then tell them what you told them. Um, uh, you know, that's what I'm going to try to do. Um, so last week, let me tell you what I told you. Uh, twin task of scripture. Um, uh, uh, in an effort to present a 100% law-free gospel. The twin tasks of scripture. Uh, to amplify sin to the point that it becomes intolerable, or even so much so, Stephen Paulson in that book that I mentioned last week, Lutheran Theology, would say, to make sin so great in our vision, as the word does itself to us, one of the words of God, the two words of God, as it delivers itself to us, uh, the word of the law and the word of the gospel, as the word of the law is amplified and it becomes so great before our eyes and so great before our vision, so great before our consciousness or even just our, our reality that it kills us. Now that's a word. <laughs> um, 
that when that happens, uh, the second word, which is 100% law-free, or as Paul would say last time in Romans 3, as the purpose of the law was to lead us to Christ, actually that's in Galatians, um, that now a righteousness apart from the law has been revealed. Um, That's a law-free gospel. The second word of God is the gospel. So that's why it's sometimes called the two words, the two words of God, law and gospel. This is Romans 1 through 8 is where all of that, which is somewhat familiar language here at the Advent, um, that's where we get this is Romans 1 through 8. And right here in Romans 4 is where it really picks up steam. So to make sin so great that it kills and then to declare the righteousness of God, which is apart from the law, um, which speaks from nothing, because once you're dead in your trespasses and sins, that is the declaration of being out of Ephesians 2 and then Colossians 3, uh, that you are dead, not you're becoming dead or you're kind of weak and now you're sort of ready for some improvement. I mean, it's not that it's the fire is out. Um, 20,000 leagues under the sea, you're not drowning and he throws you a life vest. Um, Thanks be to God for throwing me a life vest. Thanks be to me for having the wherewithal and the strength to reach up and grab it. There's none of that. I tried and I tried and I tried and I failed and I sank to the bottom of the ocean and I was left there like an AI, that old Steven, not so old, Steven Spielberg movie where eons later they find that thing, that that robot, I guess it was, um, uh, finally it died and then he brought it to life. Once everything is out, the word of the gospel comes up. Um, uh, The law condemns us and the gospel saves us and the two are never mixed. Why am I fighting so hard for this? I'll show you as I'll read some pieces from some kind of contemporary literature and theology that's out there and why this is such an important word of hope. Because I'm also fond of saying um, uh, theology as I try to to, to bring it forth some of what I offer as a counselor and as a teacher and all that. It's not that you know, I'm fighting for just you know, a right way of thinking. I really don't care. Um, you know, it's fun to think about thinking, uh, but that's not it. Because uh, that's intellectually stimulating and it's fun to get together with drinks and sort of you know, have a sophomore you know, sort of argument and all that stuff. It's that these ideas matter because they hurt people when you're wrong and they save people when the word is alive and it does itself to us and it actually creates from death life and from hopelessness hope and from brokenness restoration and from uh, uh, sickness health. So with all that, um, the gospel then um, moves forth and as Ashley Knoll would even say, uh, he called it in the three R's, Ashley Knoll, somebody else who's come in this Lent again, in fact, um, Cramner scholar, just to say it's not completely, it's as this is a central point in our tradition as Anglicans. Uh, Thomas, Cram- <coughs> excuse me, Thomas Cramner would call it the three R's. Actually, I think he just builds on Thomas Cramner's theology. The three R's that we realize the power of sin, that we rely on the power of unconditional love, and that we remember the power of the Scripture to lead us to these two realizations um, in these two words given to us. So to, to realize, to rely, and to remember. So all of that is a little bit of what I tried to say last week, where it's the systematic dismantling of, of, of Gentiles and Jews and then Gentiles and Jews alike so that our sin is amplified and clarified so much so 
that it kills us so that now, as he would say at the end of Romans 3, a righteousness apart from the law, a law-free righteousness has been revealed, has been made known, is now being given and is now doing itself to us as this wordedness is about to happen in Romans 4. So that's kind of a rehash. Any comments on that? Any thoughts? Feedback? or um, It's getting hot in here. That thing over there? Uh, if you turn it down, you can, Josh. So let's think about the word legitimai, and then we're going to see how often it appears here. Um, I stole a lot of my thunder a minute ago. As I mentioned, it's the word um, that built off the word uh, logos. Uh, that this is the word, as Fitzsimmons Allison described it, it's the word that denotes the event that makes us worthy to stand before an almighty God. Again, repetition is important. It's really, really, really important. Um, said this last week. Uh, we have no filial, which just means family. We have no filial relationship to God except with Jesus Christ, meaning we, we don't, everybody in the world is not a child of God, is what that means. Um, just because we are homo sapien, just because we've been born without an intervention of God, he is not our father. We are not his children. This is what the Bible says. Um, the only way to have a relationship with Elohim, with Yahweh, with, uh, with Jehovah Jireh, with all the different ways that the Old Testament would describe the father, God, Abba, uh, is through Jesus Christ, the one mediator and our advocate, as we are reminded again and again and again in what we call our, our comfortable words. So with that, um, uh, this word, which became a verb and then does itself to us, it, it becomes more and more important. Because now, if that's true, you know, and you got to deal with that. I've got to deal with that. O- over the years, we hope to lean into that. Okay, gosh, you know. So I'm not in a relationship with God just because I'm breathing. My children aren't in a relationship with God just because they're mine. Um, what does that mean? And then w- what about you know this this verb logizomai? What about this wordedness that's going on? Um, this word is is often translated in different translations. Credit. This we're going to hear mostly in the, um, in the ESV and the NIV. Or accounted, or regarded, or treated as, or deemed. Or the old word is impute. Um, the word impute is not a perfect word for it. I like it most now because we don't use it anywhere else. Um, is it used in accounting? Are there any accountants in here? Do we? Is that used in accounting? Is it? You would know. Is it? How is it used in accounting? In what way do you, would you say? I've heard it's an accounting word. So what wasn't there is is counted as it was there, and then it's as good as there. Is that right? That's what I understand. That it's a word that doesn't have, and so I like it as a theological, just because you can recover it, because it doesn't mean other things. We don't know what it means on the front end. So the imputed righteousness of God, what in the world does that mean? Um, Well, it's good because it's so foreign to us, you can sort of reconstruct it and build it with a very specific definition. Um, Except for Al, but, you know, he's smart. He can figure this out, sir. Um, uh, so this word, impute or deem or reckon, don't you love that? Well, I reckon it's true. So, um, you know, it's there. Uh, it doesn't have anything like supposition or sort of a hope like we normally use it. I hope it doesn't rain or I reckon it will or, you know, I'm imputing rain tomorrow. Um, you know, we wouldn't use that kind of language. But if it's worded, 
that it's that word carries the very specific meaning because its root logizomai logos, which is an active word, a word that has has life unto itself. It's a living word. It does something. When it when I say I've worded you twenty five dollars, it's there. It's as good as there. You can bank on it. You could die on it, and it's there. It's a fact, as much of a fact, sort of existentially, as anything could be um could be given. It's not a um. In theology, it's not a judicial fiction, as the, the the doctrine of justification is often accused. You know, it's got to reckon with. There's that word. Um, and then I also use this a little bit and, and and break this out. And all this is, if you want to chase along for the next few weeks, all this builds on itself up to just the Himalayan peaks of Romans 8, because then all this stuff really coalesces and comes together. Um, in Romans 4, there are Three words, really six, that sort of build on different ways. And I use one of them a lot, where the verb actually has a noun in the same way. In the same way that the verb logismai is tied to the noun logos, uh, uh, we read that word, and we lose it in English, credited um, uh, is the verb, but the noun is, uh, is, is word. I, I use this one all the time, pisteu, which means to believe. It's a verb. It's the verb form of the noun pistis, which is for faith. So you could say that I faithed uh, my life in Christ. I believe that my life is in Christ. You can say I faithed that or I trusted that. Um, and then one that's a little bit less known to us, um, the word justify is the, the, the verb form of the noun, what's always translated in here, righteousness. So I'm just bringing that up to say when you hear belief and faith, those words are intimately connected. And if we read Greek, if we heard Greek, we would know that immediately. It's when I would say, and, he, and she saw a vision. Well, you know what that means because it's tied to the, to, the site, um, to the site verb that you have an immediate part to, an immediate recognition of. Um, so the word belief and faith intimately connected, justify and righteousness intimately connected with the same root and logizomai, um, worded, uh, imputed, reckoned, credited, and the word logos are, are connected. So um, so with all that as a uh, intro, let's turn and do some text work, as I call it, and then we'll come back out and look at uh, Romans 4. We'll do quite the whole thing, but we'll spend a little bit of time here um, uh, looking at the first uh, eight verses first. Um, Romans 4, 1 through 8. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, uh, and it was counted to him. There's that word, counted, legitimized, and it was worded to him, it was counted to him, it was legitimized. To him is righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted, legitimai, as a gift, but as is due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then a quote from the Psalms, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count, legitimai, his sin. So what's going on here? What's he saying? Um, uh, verse 4, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And so the initial 
contrast is set up, and that's going to be picked up later, um, uh, where the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is Jesus Christ our Lord, um, verse that's very well known to many of us. Now to the one who works, um, ergon, where we get, you know, the one who, um, uh, who puts a little bit in, his, what he gets back, that's his due. There's no gift to it. There's nothing um, unusual. There's nothing new to that. That's hardwired. That's what I tried and didn't succeed, I think, last week in that long title, Strawberry Bootlaces, that is very near you and autonomous. Um, uh, the law, as it is written on every man's heart, everybody who's ever lived is born knowing the law. That's why we're going to see the law is what makes religion religion. And all religions really are basically the same because they all deal with law, which means they all deal with behavior, whether it's Islam, Judaism, Christianity, in that way, which I'm going to say it's not. Um, uh, they're all just sort of law. They're behavior modification. They're, they're changing their morality. They're just trying to make things work. Um, Paul setting all this up. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as is due. Um, karma. What comes around, goes around. Um, God helps those who help themselves. Um, there is nothing new, I would say, or good about this. Remember, gospel is 100% law-free. This is lawful. There is no gospel here. Now, on a horizontal level, it's necessary, it works, it's good. I'm glad that I work, you know, how many hours a week, and I get paid for it. I'm glad you do. We need that. That's, that's all fine. That's Romans 13, by the way. Um, but let's not confuse that with this. For the one who works, he gets his due. And the wages of sin, and we all like or under sin, Paul is later going to say, is death. And that's what we get, our just desserts. But to the one who does not work... But believes, remember belief and faith and their intimate connection, but the one who believes in him who justifies the ungodly, God who is both just and the justifier, Romans 3 said, so that that one, that God, that Abba, who now that filial, that family relationship is forming, to the one who justifies the ungodly, the ones who don't put a little bit of love in your heart, the one who don't aren't just getting by with a little help from your friends who, who, who don't have enough wherewithal to be the pilot and put him in the second seat and have him be the co-pilot or whatever else. All these aphorisms that come out to that one who believes uh, that he is both just and the justifier of the ungodly, his faith is counted, is imputed, is reckoned, is worded with this living and active word which is as good as gold. It's worded, and it is, creatio ex nihilo, um, as righteousness, as that noun which signifies the event of the verb justify, made right. So, Romans 4, 5, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. It is there. It is not a fiction, but the truest truth. And he's going to go on and say, and this is the bedrock of our hope. Any comments on that? This all just kind of laying the groundwork, and then we'll kind of compare it with a few other things. And, and I want to make the bridge, although a lot of this is going to be sort of up here. Um, each class, it's my hope to kind of ground it in some, um, 
some actual examples, but I'll probably need your help with that. Any comments so far? Any confusion? Disagreements? There's a lot of places to disagree with this, by the way. Um, I would say you have to go outside of Romans to disagree. Paul makes a pretty tight case in Romans. It's, it stands apart from the rest of his... Well, really, from the rest... Well, it just... You have to go outside of Romans to, uh, to argue, which you can do because it's all the inspired word of God. Yeah, Julie. What about the pre, the pre- Absolutely, that's that's what he's going to talk about with Abraham, who, um, and we're going to really not spend a whole lot of time in that, but that's verses 9 through 12, that he holds up Abraham first of all, because Genesis 1 through 12, see if I can pull this out, you know, there's the, the creation and fall, and then a couple of genealogies, and then the Cain and Abel, and then genealogies, and then the, uh, the flood, and then the Tower of Babel, and then Abraham. Abraham and Sarah. Uh, so long before Moses, the, the deliverer of the law that comes in Exodus, you know, Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments finally show up, there's a lot that happens between Genesis 12 and, and Exodus 20. So for all of them, this credited to his righteousness, pre-Christian, as it were, uh, they also are counted. And he gets into that with great specificity as well in Romans 9 through, through, through 11. Um, but he anticipates this, and I don't want to spend a lot of time, but is this blessing only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Which would be, you know, Abram. Um, for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How was it counted to him? Um, was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after, but before. For he see, received the, the, the circumcision, and it's in Romans, uh, in Genesis 12, which he picks up as a quote, that uh, he was um, uh, counted to him as righteousness. His... Uh, his life, just because he says, you are, and he was worded. Didn't do anything, didn't obey anything, wasn't a disciple, didn't didn't live a good life. It just because God said, it was. Good question. Um, and that helps us in all of the questions. So it runs right up to you know the proverbial, which is a good question. It's the one in every seventh grade Bible study I think I ever did. Um, what about, I'm going to be kind of abrasive here, but this is where it really came down, usually in this phrase, what about the babies in Africa who die? You know, that's a good question. I mean, it's, it's real. <laughs> um, but that's the way it's usually come up in shorthand. We need some answer to that. This is an answer to that, worded, that God, who exists in himself satisfactorily without any need whatsoever, so according to his good pleasure, he does what he wants to do, and this living and active word, when it speaks without regard for anybody else, it's kind of ungentlemanly, you know, so Victorian sort of theology, be damned, literally, um, of, uh, of God's a perfect gentleman. And so, he, you know, as I've said in Young Life once in my early days, much to my great shame, um, God will not, the, the, God cannot bridge the chasm that is as far away as the human arm. I think I said that once, meaning I can hold God away. This far. Nope. Not going to have it, God. God save us from that. I mean, what if that's true? And a lot of us think that. A lot of us think that. That I can, I can say no to God. That's a limited God. Now, he could limit himself. You know, that's a word that you've got to deal with. But I don't think that's not it. So the worded idea, logitsumai, living and active, unleashed, as C.S. Lewis would say. Um, uh... 
approaches some of these very real questions. So let's move on. So then let's skip down to uh, verse 13 through um, uh, the end of the chapter, um, verse 25. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be an heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And so you remember the story of Abraham. Let me do this real fast. First real sort of figure that we follow biblically. Um, you know, there's Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and some others like that. But, but Abraham takes up the, uh, a long time in Genesis. And he's married to Sarah, and they were Abraham and Sarai, and became Abraham and Sarah. Um, and there's Mary, and we know well about her, the mother of Jesus, the immaculate, the virgin conception. Um, uh, great word here in a few moment, moments where, where God, um, who raises the dead and brings forth things that did not exist. It's a great way to describe the virgin uh, conception. It's really a virgin conception, not a virgin birth, um, where where there wasn't, it, Mary's womb was worded, and then there was. Um, same thing with Sarah, except she was just so old. Remember, they were both 100. Wombs aren't alive at 100. And, you know, the, uh, what's the motility of the sperm? Not real high, you know, at that point. A little bit longer than a womb, but not that long. Um, and they knew that. They, they, they had pigs. They had cows. They knew, I guess they didn't have many pigs, but um, they, they knew what they were doing. So. Um, actually, they would have, because that would be Moses, who didn't have any pigs, but so... Um, uh, they knew all that stuff. Um, so that's Abraham and, uh, and Sarah, um, the one who was promised to him that he would be the father of many nations. When he was, what, at that point, 80-something, and Sarah laughed. I was like, are you kidding? Have you seen me recently? I don't have a mirror anywhere in my house, but I know I ain't going to have a child. Um, uh, and it happened um, as, as, as upending as the virgin conception. Um, and so there's really sort of that bookend in some ways. Uh, so all that, the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be an heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if the adherents of the law who were heirs, uh, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. The adherents of the law, if, 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 if that's the one who are going to be the heirs, those who work will get their wages, then faith, trust, there is no trust. You don't need to trust in anything. I did it. You know, my demonstration is what is um, sure, not trust in another. That's where our trust is. Um, Yoda's great word, no, we look for another. Um, I thought that was funny, but uh, Martin, where are you? You're supposed to laugh. Um, um, uh, For the law brings wrath. Remember the first work of the word. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. So Paul begins a very controversial part of his thought, which finds its climax in Romans 10, where it says, Christ is the end of the law. Back to a law-free gospel, where the two are not bedfellows, which just means, practically speaking, you wouldn't say... um, Christ and, the gospel and, and wherever is after the end. Christ and the church is uh, your help. Um, Christ and uh, your um, education, your bloodline, your wherewithal, your good intentions, your faith. Christ and um, uh, discipleship. You know, you don't get crowns in heaven. You don't get salvation, sanctification, glorification, anything except 
through Christ alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone, through Scripture alone. You know, all those. So anyway, that's an aside. We'll go through that later. For the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offsprings, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. For as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope. And then he goes forward. So quick word on this, and then we'll move through quickly. Um, this description of wordedness, this description of, of logitsamai, uh, that life um, to Sarah's dead womb would come about, and Abraham believed the promise and did not rely or trust in the demonstration of his own works or his own potentiality or perfectibility. In other words, he looked down at himself and he said, it ain't going to happen, but he believed anyway. And he said, and that was then what was counted and credited to him. It was put into his bank account, and it was as good as there, that he was the father of us all, our forefather in the flesh, as he said. So in this way, the, the, the Abrahamic uh, religions, Judaism, uh, Islam, and Christianity, all of them recognize this. So in a moment, I'm going to say what separates us. Um, but then this Koreashio ex nihilo comes about. Again, where God, who um, gives life, in verse 17, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the very things that do not exist. A dead wound, a dead faith, a place where there is no love, a place where there is not, suddenly there was. And that he places as hope against hope. And that is the hinge of our own hope for whatever our not is, or our impasse, or our wall, um, is uh, the hinge point of the wordedness of God, that the word became a verb and is actively doing itself to us, unwrapping everything that we've created. So, all the way down to verse 24, back up to 23 to the end. Um, but the words it was counted to him, logitzamide, uh, were not written for his sake alone, Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. For it will be counted to us who believe in him, who, uh, who believe in him who raised from the dead, believe in God, in other words, who raised from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord, and who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Romans 4.25 is rightfully a great throwaway line um, that, that, that sort of signifies a lot. Christ Jesus, who was delivered over for our trespasses and raised for our justification, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the enchilada, in other words. Um, how does this play out? Um, one way to look at this, um, I think we get into this conversation, you know, most of us probably three or four times a year at some point in another, um, the proverbial cocktail party, I don't know where that happens, poolside, you know, at a wedding reception, uh, during a commercial break, you know, on a car ride, something like that. You know, what about other religions? You know, you sort of get drawn into that. If you got kids in eighth grade, they come home because they're getting some social studies homework, and you're like, I don't know. I mean, I guess. They... So, you know, what what is all this? Law, as I said out earlier, this this way that that hopefully hopefully over the next few weeks, um, this language, one of the two words of God, law, becomes more and more apparent. The shoulds, the ought, the must. The, the, 
the, the dictates of religion that um, always have to do something with behavior, whether a demonstration of behavior, or the, the restraint of a behavior, don't kill, do worship, don't idolize, do pray, you know, all that sort of stuff. Behavior. Law is the common thread of religions. And I remember in Suwannee, um, and this is, just happens, you know, it happened until Christ comes back. Rel- university religion departments think they are rocking kids' worlds at age 18. They come in there and they make them cry just because this has never been thought of before. You know, and they come out and you know, they love to batter it about because they say, well, how is your religion different from, you know, Confucianism, and they come out with this great turn of phrase because they got a PhD and got a NIMH grant or something like that to kind of play all this out, and the kids are like, oh my God, everything's undone, and they go out and <laughs> smoke a lot of weed, and then everything gets bad. So. Um, and it's all because of the religion departments. So um, Christianity at its practice, at its practice, it's the same as most religions. Christianity as its practice is the same as most religions. Uh, Romans 1 and 2, it's very near you. The law is written on every man's heart. So it plays out whether it's, uh, let's just stay with Judaism, Islam, and and Christianity. As it plays out, look very, very similar. We say it in our liturgy, the summary of the law. What is it? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And likewise, you shall love the neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, law, Hang all the law on the prophets. And what's unique about that? Jews would say, yeah, love me. It's exactly what they would say. You know, um, what's that called? The Shema. Um, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Islam does a better job at it than most, you know, because under threat, if you don't, you die. Um, law is the thread amongst all these different religions. But Christianity... Um, then runs outside of law. Bono's great word in that book with uh, that French um, agnostic journalist that, that grace travels outside of karma. That's what he called it. This law which runs through all these religions, grace runs outside of karma. It's grace that begins to make Christianity distinctive because... The third R that Ashley Nellis talked about, you know, remembering um, that Scripture, the power of Scripture, reveals that the law is amplified to make us sinners, to kill us, and that um, uh, the gospel is given law-free to save us and to rescue us, to resurrect us, to unbind us, uh, and that Scripture's role is to, to, to remember, to put us back together, the opposite of dismember, to remember. Um, it needs an external word. That's why we're so big on the Bible, because the Bible, which is always outside of me, the law is written on men's hearts, but the gospel, that second word of God, is never a part of my fleshly heart. It's only a part of the new heart, which God creates in me, ex nihilo. Um, So there is nothing new in the law. It's common to all. There's everything that is new and good, and that's only held in what we call the gospel, the good news. Uh, We would know this without the Bible. You wouldn't know this. As Will Willimon once said, it's not something that four out of five dentists actually agree on. They don't know it. You wouldn't know it unless it was given to you as an external word. And so where does this play out? A guy named Brian McLaren, and I'll hang up here. 
uh, who's a popular author, you know, he's in Newsweek, all this, and he's got a few things that are probably worth listening to, but, but I'm going to stop there. He'd be kind of the headwaters of what's called the emerging church movement. Um, about five years ago, he wrote a book called Finding Our Way Again, The Return of the Ancient Practices, and he said this, um, and if you hear, what I hear is John Lennon's Imagine, I love to pick on that song. But then also that Coke commercial. Remember sort of in the 70s when I was growing up, I'd like to teach the world the thing. What's the rest of it? In perfect harmony. I'd like to buy the world of Coke and keep it company. Um, that's the song I sing. You know, there's actually a philosophy under that, that if we could all just have a Coke, and, and that's the lowest common denominator, and we all have said, and that's enough, that we all like Coke, black, white, red, Jew, Greek. If we just all liked Coke, wouldn't it be great? Imagine a world where we just all enjoyed <laughs> Coke, and we'd be fine. And I know it's funny, but it's powerful, isn't it? I mean, there's a lure to that. That gym. I mean, here I am, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, and I'm bringing it up now because it's like, well, yeah, imagine, you know, <laughs> imagine a world. And it's John Lennon. You know? So here's this, Brian McLaren, and I'm going to say why he's wrong, and then we'll stop. What if? So he comes out with these what-ifs. Imagine, I'd like to buy the world of Coke. Um, what if there is a treasure hidden in the field of our three great monotheisms, Christianity, Islam, and, uh, and Judaism? What if there is a treasure hidden in the field of our three great monotheisms, long buried but waiting to be rediscovered? And what if the treasure is a way, a way that can train us to stop killing and hating, but instead can work together under one God, joining God to build a better world, a city for God. What if our suffering and fear are not intended to inspire deadly defense and counterattack and a vain search for peace through domination, but instead, what if they serve to break and soften us like a plowed field after rain so that the seeds of God's kingdom and a few more notes of God's harmony can grow within us and among us? This is my hope. This is our hope. That's a moving paragraph, but it's wrong. And you see, this is where theology is not just a cogent, fun, let me prove my intellectual dominance over, you know, who cares? It's that it hurts people. When you bring things down, when you don't call a thing what it actually is, and you bring things down to a common denominator like a Coke, and you start putting out what if. Now, what ifs are fine unless the what ifs aren't true. <laughs> and all this is predicated on a what if which runs completely in the face of every fact we ever know where we run up into the reality of sin, of stuckness, of the very fact that the person I wish I was, I'm not. And it just don't seem to be getting any better. Um, that's where the what if of this potential treasure that's hiding in a field somewhere, and if we could all just sort of have a Coke and go look for it, and we found it, then maybe the world, imagine no religion, imagine no heaven, only stars above, uh, and we could, won't you come join me, says John Lennon, and we'll all be okay. Um, imagine that, and let's just sort of, you know, if I wish it, it's true. Here's my end point. That's creatio ex nihilo, but it's from me out. Puts myself in the position of God. I don't create the world according to the way I wish I imagined it were. Um, God does. And that's the word 
which is wording itself to us, logizomai, which then creates this righteousness and this faith, uh, which then becomes actual and true. If Al calls you and says, somebody imputed $25 into your account, it happened, and it's really there. And that's the word that, um, that we're in the middle of dealing with. And we're going to keep going with that in Romans 5. So, let me hit pause. Um, gracious Father, make this word yours. Correct me, Lord, um, where I am wrong, um, as I surely am somewhere. Um, uh, strengthen uh, this word where it is your word, uh, logizomying itself to us. Word yourself to us, Lord. And, uh, and give us hope. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.